0: recording.
1: Let's do this. Boom. Boom. What's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host Alan Sakian. Very excited to be talking about worldviews and public intellectuals. We have Julia Shea joining us on the show. Hello. Thanks for coming on again. Very excited. Do the handshake. I'm super excited. Julia's visiting right now from Cambridge. She's a junior at Harvard. Senior. She's a senior now at Harvard, that's right, yeah, okay, you're in the house here, okay, okay. <laughs> and we've done two shows with you before, I've loved our conversations. You just came in, and you were saying a moment ago that you were looking at the slogan of what yeah. we've been saying with simulation, rebirthing yeah. a public intellectual.
0: Yeah, so every time I get an email from you, at the bottom of the email is this um, quote, or not quote, a slogan, I guess, that says, um, you're rebirthing the public intellectual. And that really made me think um, about how I think in today's age, we're sort of missing this figure that we had in the past and that we still look toward. We don't have these people like Bertrand Russell, Oliver Sacks, all these people who, I mean, Oliver Sacks was relatively recent, but this sort of like, I, these like critical idea people have sort of left. And that, I think, is what you're trying to do here. And um, I think what we were talking about is how um, people like Donald Trump or people who are extremely biased in their views, that's an extreme example, um, have like millions of followers on Twitter or whatever, YouTube, whatever platform they're using. Whereas um, people like you, I mean, it could just be um, that you haven't been around as long as these other people yet doing what you're doing. Um, But have more the sort of the public intellectual maybe is facing some sort of um, difficulty getting attention um, or followers or likes or whatever that is. And what is that pushback?
1: Yeah, it was a great when you walked in and you were just like, rebirthing the public intellectual, let's talk about that. And I was like, okay, (laughs) sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. okay so there's a couple things let's look at it historically first so on a level of history this has been happening for quite a long time is this sort of uh, during this this kin tribal era that we had we had a lot of the time someone that was a storyteller that was wise within our kin within our tribe that would help tell stories that was in the best interest inclusively to communicate a story that was important for other people to hear. And we've kind of, after a long period of evolution, kind of exploded in terms of population from these kin tribes into this massive, interconnected, global, globalized, information technology world with eight billion of us, and now it's become a little bit more difficult to find the signal where you can end up having someone that's just trying to self-deal by telling a story. I'm just gonna tell you something so that you pay me money, that I earn money, and it doesn't even need to be wise or not. It doesn't even need to have a great signal or not. So, and that's all the way from kin tribes, from hundred plus thousand years ago all the way through things like public intellectuals that you were describing earlier also ones that were maybe in these smaller towns of 10,000 people that were' developing all the way up to today where you see this blue check mark ecosystem of verified users and you can occasionally find a verified user that has an input stream that's all, that has been multidisciplinary they've balanced tons of different worldviews and perspectives. Yeah. And then you can have a a blue checkmark person that is extremely biased, extremely one-sided, their input stream has been just one side of a conversation, and they have millions of followers. But then you can find someone that only has 300 followers that actually has an input stream that is the most multidisciplinary, the most balanced of worldviews, and they're disseminating really high-quality stuff, but they are only getting it out to a couple people. So this is part of the movement that we care a lot about, is part of the slogan is this rebirthing the public intellectual. Another part is inspiring you to build the future. And so when you have a new connected, globalized information technology world, you can actually leverage the tool to be extremely powerful for disseminating high signal. And how do we come up with the consensus of what is signal? Tough but we are totally on path to be figuring that out and doing it with things like this, mm-hmm. as well as other independent media. You were talking about it a little bit ago. You, don't, you and so many other young people are, like Julia came in and she was like, not just wanting to do things that were mundane, right? That's why she's even here in the first place. She came to Silicon Valley because she knows that she can accelerate herself Intellectually, at much faster rates by being bicoastal, by having a Cambridge nodal cluster and a Silicon Valley right. nodal cluster. And so she's here doing that. And what she did is she immediately started vlogging. And she was vlogging about the experience of being here and capturing really good conversations between us, with Ron, stuff outside that she's experiencing, stuff that she's experiencing. And she started stitching it into a movie. This is what I'm saying, this is the public intellectual. This is people that take life by the horns and say i'm going to make content that inspires people that no matter if i only start with one follower that eventually that becomes two four eight sixteen and then we can slowly but surely regain back control of having a more cohesive unity on this planet so that would be a tiny bit of a history plus all the other it stuff that we're in for just that's just the public intellectual side of things.
0: Yeah, I think like one interesting question, we'd sort of have to do an experiment about this is like, is the public intellectual really less popular at the moment than these other people? Like is there, are we biased in favor of people who are biased and rather than like interested in all knowledge? Um, and I think like that's something we're sort of assuming here. I'm not 100% sure it's true. Um, we'd have to sort of like go through Instagram accounts and go through YouTube accounts to really see whether that's true. And well,
1: unfortunately- you could use the word cognitive ease or cognitive bias, right? Yeah. Because it's as easy as saying that if you provide me with a black or white perspective on something, I can more easily just say, ah, but if you provide me with this nuanced, multi-paragraphed explanation of something, yeah. I'm going to be like, oh, it's so much harder to yeah. understand.
0: Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's just that um, what we're talking about, the type of like inspiring content that we're talking about, um, like you're saying, it might be sort of like hidden in accounts. I think people can, when they read it, they detect it and they're like, "Ooh, this is good stuff." But it's just not like public enough. Um, so that's why I'm super into what you're doing here. I think um, one thing though is it's really important. I've been thinking about this myself, sort of like figuring out what format and how to organize this stuff. Um, to get it out. Because I think what we're facing is this issue of like, we can have these conversations, but they can be lost pretty easily. And they can be buried in 40 minutes into a YouTube video or whatever. Um, So I think figuring out like how to make this stuff accessible so that it can inspire people is so important.
1: Yeah, so that's taking content like this and being able to do things like make knowledge graphs, make transcripts of yeah. it, do things like make highlight reels of it, make short clips of it. Yeah. And with help of people like you that actually watch the program, we can do things like that. We just need the couple extra teammates to come on board and help us with yeah. things like that. So, and the and the funding to move the ball forward and we're slowly getting there and doing that. So. I also want to illustrate out, so that's part of the equation is figuring out the optimal modes of dissemination of this content, yeah. the optimal modes of inspiring other people. Long form is good, it gives them that option. We also need the transcripts, knowledge graphs, all yep. that stuff, highlight reels, et cetera. Anyway, yeah, Let's, we
0: can move off of this. Let,
1: well, I want to, I you then, you then in, you elicited another aspect of what I'm extremely passionate about building in the long term, and I want to uh, explain that now. Yeah. So, In the long term, if you take this public intellectual movement and you, instead of saying that this is gonna be something that's just gonna be on Twitter and on YouTube and it's just gonna be on on streams of, of content, or it's just gonna be in a coliseum or in an atrium or whatever it may be in a, in a, on a stage in front of people. That's good, that's good. But I think this needs to go to a global debate stage. Let me explain what that looks like. So it would be as though a global debate circuit even. It would be as though within the United States it's kind of like the, the prize systems that exist today. Big, crowdsourced, incentive-driven uh, prize systems. So something like uh, a man and a woman, Let's, in this case, let's use Julian Allen as an example, would, would compete against teams of other men and women inside of the United States for one team within the United States to represent the US on a global level. Same thing in Kenya and same thing in, in Latvia and same thing in, in Thailand, just all different places around the world would have a team of a man and a woman that would compete against other teams of men and women in order to have a single We'd have a language one. barrier hold on let me let me let me let me this is yeah. a, that's a great point that's a great point there's 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 more here quick just on a on a how this works level it is a you take something like a complex subject complex subject like a debate topic like resolved the cost of social media outweighs the benefits right something that is controversial it's uh, super nuanced and it doesn't have clear answers it's not binary but But what that does, a resolve statement like that, um, the teams of people like Alan and Julia would basically have to come prepared to either fight for or against it. So the teams have to come completely prepared to fight on either side of it, to debate on either side of it, and then at the beginning of the debate, there's a coin flip that happens. Then that, the team, they get to uh, either pick they want to be pro or con if they win the coin flip. However you want to figure out, an RNG can assign it. Doesn't even matter at that point, but you only learn right before you go into the debate. Then you have judges. You have a panel of judges, maybe three or five judges. What they're doing is they're listening to the persuasive arguments between the two debate teams, and they're picking which debate team is best at, rep- at moving forward. So it's kind of like the big March Madness brackets or the big World Cup brackets that you just have a bracket system that comes down to the final global stages. And then once you get to this like World Cup of global debate where it's just one team from every country, that then at that point you can do things that are even more geopolitical. Things like uh, how, uh, how, like how do we program ethics into super intelligence or so questions like that or how do we handle wealth inequality so so these are some of the questions that we could have lift up to debate stages around the world and have it be then have young people compete to be on these debate stages and then have those things streamed across the world and inspire more people to to solve some of the most pressing challenges that we face today yeah
0: okay yeah so i have a few pieces of Feedback about that. So there are a few things. I think, in terms of inspiring people, assuming this language barrier wasn't an issue, I think this would be a great thing. There are a few other problems though. The language
1: barrier isn't actually an issue. The language barrier is changing so quickly. There's the device already where I can speak in Korean and out the other side it comes out in English. Cool. And that device is already existing so it's just going to get better and better over time where it's not going to be as big of an issue. Yeah, live translation. Got it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, What else? So the other
0: thing is I think before when we were talking about this you mentioned that people would be assigned to sort of a pro or con side to this and I think um, what that would do is essentially, I think like what we're, what we're looking for here is we're looking to inspire people about, about this whole format of debate and conversation, but what we're also looking to do is to solve these problems that people are debating. And I think it should be about the merit of the arguments, and so if you're assigning, if we get assigned to the con side of social media, um, costs outweigh the benefits. Maybe that's the wrong side to be on. Like, I know it's not a binary issue, but maybe, like, really, the better arguments are in support of the other side. Um, and so you bring so, up this great point, which so is that you're there, assigning you be people to a Doing side. the
1: nuance instead of the binary pro yeah, and con Yeah, I think people should be able to, to do pick.
0: I think people should be able to pick what side they're on, and people.
1: That's maybe yeah. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. You know what I mean? Sure. Go ahead.
0: If I think. When people are picking a side, they're saying, I support this viewpoint, and then they're able to. But the whole
1: point of doing pro and con and having to study both sides is that That's like what happens when you steel man someone's argument. That if I I only live in social media is good land, I don't even know how to summarize a social media is bad argument. Same thing if someone lives in just social media is bad land, they don't know how to steel man or summarize a social media is good argument. So that's what at least having a coin flip at the beginning would have people prepared on both sides. But there's actually potentially a better way to do this. If we really want to have everything that we're talking about in this conversation show up in a live knowledge graph that's being painted of the nuance of the subject of the costs outweigh the benefits, or however you want st- to state that resolved statement, that that is actually an exceptional idea is that you could potentially have the knowledge graph being made in real time live of the nuance that's being discussed between the teams. And the nuance is the most important takeaway, not which team wins on pro or con.
0: Right, right. Um, I think what you like you bring up the point that, um, if you live in social me- social media is bad land you don't even understand the arguments for social media is good land I think um, one thing that would solve that problem though is this question about social media for example clearly there are arguments on both sides otherwise we wouldn't be having this debate and so presumably somebody who's on one of these debate teams would be a strong arguer for the other side and would be able to introduce those arguments and it would then go on the knowledge graph and the nuance would be introduced, et cetera, et cetera. So I think um, the details of this obviously have to be worked out, but I think public debate on like TV would be so cool to watch. Maybe it exists and I just don't know about it.
1: Well, the closest thing I think we have right now is the intelligence squared debates, which are pretty good. Um, They do a decent job at this, but this can be done in an even better way. And I think what what we just got there in the last sentence that you said was that, last couple sentences, was that what happens when you have someone that is extremely deep on both pro and con on a specific issue, then after the coin flip, they have to debate on just pro or con is that what they're doing they're structuring out the the most cohesive arguments against the benefits of social Mm -hmm. media the most cohesive arguments for the benefits of social media and then what you do is you package both of those together into a knowledge graph on here are the best benefits here are the worst attributes of social media and then you solve it becomes like an equation how do you make social media 2.0 that takes all of the good that was debated on the pro side of these world stages, how do you take all the bad and archive that code, update that code to make it even mm-hmm. better for 2.0? Yeah. Yeah, so that's where things like this could lead. So this is the mix between public intellectuals, global debate circuits, n- nationally, internationally televising yeah. these. Oh, yep.
0: one other piece of feedback. Um, I think that the speech format could be interesting for people to watch but also I think there's some value as you know because you're very involved in this in like the sort of multimedia type approach to argument or to content um so I think having this not be necessarily just like uh like essentially what this is like a verbal broadcast um instead having it be like like you could have any format. People could choose the format that they feel is best. It could be videos, it could be um, written content, it could be sort of like a post that incorporates written content, video, audio, etc. Um, yeah. so I think like just to let the multimedia
1: approach thrive in the space as well. People yeah. can make videos, people can make write written examples. Yeah. People can submit just audio examples. I just it's just like, if you want to submit films, right, there's so many things that you can submit into this. It, It's like, maybe you do have a film global circuit mm-hmm. where people take film and try to make the nuance on the subject on a film level, that there's yeah. a winner from South Africa and a winner from
0: yeah, where Laos. I think,
1: and they, I think yeah. like,
0: ignore the two people per country. Like, I think this should just be a... And ignore even the idea of, like, a contest with one winner. I think, like, essentially what you're doing is you're crowdsourcing wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. So you are um, taking the best, like, it doesn't even have to be, like, the best film somebody submits. It could be, like, just one, like, sentence or one 30-second um, portion of a film that someone submits. You sort of compile all of that content into one um One new piece of content, one like uh, compiled piece of content that has all of the good arguments together, and then we inform policy based on that.
1: That's great. Yeah. So there's both the potential for it to actually have humans in debate, which I think is still a really, really interesting one. I actually took a fuckload of debate when I was younger and I think it's one of the best ways to be able to unpack the nuance and learn emotional intelligence and so much I I do still think that's extremely applicable as well as the applicability of having things like films and books and other things competing in the space and the competition is more of a crowdsource like you said Mm -hmm. who are the best examples from the different parts of the world and then how do we synthesize the best examples into updating the Social Fabrics Code. Yeah, updating policy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, this has been a nice back and forth on um, the public intellectual uh, um, crowdsourcing of ideas to update policies. I like that a lot. Okay, let's hit on um, what you mentioned last night. Um, Okay, so Teach us about what your stance is on worldviews and certainty versus uncertainty. Oh,
0: gosh. Okay, let me see if I can explain this. So I think it started out with um, this kind of rhetorical question about, is there a correct worldview? And before letting you answer, I basically answered it myself, and I said, um, I think that when reality ceases to surprise you, you have achieved the correct worldview, Um, and I think what that means is that it doesn't mean that everything is predictable but it means that you've accounted for the unpredictability of people of objects of I mean not that objects are particularly unpredictable but for the idea that like a car could swerve for instance like an object that's occupied by a person um so You've accounted for that unpredictability, and the world still ceases to surprise you. I think um, means that you uh, have like a correct worldview. There are a few like other nuances to this. I mean, there are tons of nuances I haven't thought about. Um, one is that there's this really funny video. I can't remember what animal it was of. It might have been like a hamster or something. And basically, like um, the hamster uh, learns that in order to get a food pellet. It needs to do like it needs to like turn in a circle, press a lever, um, and like, climb up a set of bars, and then it gets the food lever. I mean, it gets the food pellet. When in reality, all the hamster needs to do is just climb up the set of bars and get the food pellet. But it thinks that there's this whole like elaborate routine it needs in order to get the food pellet. So that would be an example of like a functional worldview, but not like a correct worldview, and that it's not the most parsimonious
1: okay so let's take this let's take this and 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 begin to unpack i i like where this is going and i think maybe a good way to unpack this would be to understand uh how things work so if you have a world view where you understand how 90 percent of all things around the planet are traded and moved by sea by sea freight to other locations when you are able to understand on a emotional intelligence level about how to get into behind other people's eyes and try and understand their input streams for their whole life that got them to exactly where they're at. You build a deeper, more true understanding of how things work, Mm -hmm. how the economies and goods work, how the human beings work on an interpersonal level. So once you build out this more true worldview of how things work, including the things like if I was to just be like <laughs> right now and you yeah. would be like, okay, that was some uncertain shit, but I predict that you're occasionally gonna do some weird uncertain yeah. shit like that. Yeah. And that same thing, like you said, when accidentally a car can swerve or all these other things that you're predicting them in. That's why you don't just walk around on the streets with zero vigilance. You walk around on the streets with a little bit of vigilance yeah. just in case something nuts yeah. happens. Yeah. So this type of stuff.
0: Yeah. Can I add one other thing about the worldview? So, um, I think I might have said, like, is there a correct worldview? And what I actually meant is, like, I think there's a correct worldview for each person that's different. So, I think the way you're born, like, what you look like, what your voice sounds like, all of these things, like, your DNA, your seed, whatever. I was going to say that. Good, good. Yeah. So, I think that determines your worldview. Everybody has... I think, different opportunities available to them, not only based on circumstance, but I really think based on DNA. And um, so I think people's worldview can be different. So like, for instance, like, I think you're somebody that believes in um, doing things in a slightly more um, uh, uninhibited way than I do. and. I think there's a lot of value in that. You can send out tons of content to the world and get feedback from the world, um, whereas I operate on like a slightly more conservative, um, uh, like conservative. I operate from a more conservative viewpoint, essentially, and think that oh no, I should only put out content that is really valuable to the world. And I think there's so many different sources of this. One could be gender, for instance. I think I don't want to make this into a gender argument. I think it's way more complicated than that. I'm just pointing out like one little thing. I think um, that uh, maybe like women or other underprivileged groups or whatever need to sort of prove themselves more or something, and so there's more reason to um, cull and pick your content um, and your self presentation um, more carefully.
1: So it's as though the seed of every single human that has their own unique DNA in it, as that gets expressed into the world, that that becomes their optimal worldview, at their truest worldview. So it's as though It's as though that if you have a seed that is meant to be an artist, if the seed is meant to be a scientist, if the seed is meant to be a philosopher, whatever the seed Mm -hmm. is meant to do in this world, that the closer and closer that you get to opening up the doors for yourself that get you to the artist, because you were able to get the tools when you were really young that got you closer and closer to understanding that art's what gives you the most meaning in life, Mm -hmm. that then your worldview becomes definitely more centered on art. It's not like you're gonna somehow also end up knowing absolutely everything about macroeconomics oh, at the same time. Yeah. But, so then this is how your worldview can, because you have a limited amount of neural real estate, you can't just sponge up every single edge field at its absolute fullest.
0: I think, um, when I heard this like recently, I don't know if this is true at all. I think that there's some sort of thinking that humans sort of don't have a limit to the amount that they can learn. Obviously, we're limited by time. Um, but in terms of like actual content, like assuming we lived forever, that there isn't actually like a limit to how much our brain can learn.
1: Well, there's so much nuance there. I mean, one, one of the points is like you brought up time, like you live for 80 years. So that's first and foremost. Yeah, um, the next point is that it's just it's hubristic to think that like your you know input stream can somehow encompass all that yeah. is oh, of course. so so we so then pro- the most humble way I think to potentially yeah. approach it is to say something along the lines of. I will identify what my unique seeds DNA is, and I will try and identify in the world as much of an input stream around that unique seeds DNA that I have so that I can come out to have that as true of a worldview for this seed as possible.
0: Yeah, I think we're sort of mixing up this idea of like optimal life and worldview, like in terms of like career being optimal or whatever like pursuit you take on um in your life i think it's different from worldview like true like
1: i don't i don't i don't have as much of a hard cut line between career and worldview i think these things are totally world
0: view important. is i think how you understand like worldview is your model of how the world
1: works and it's your career separate. gets totally embedded within that. your
0: career informs your worldview
1: okay okay i think you, we can get lost in words, um, but...
0: But I think, that, I think it's yeah. important we keep the the concepts separate. I think they're different. What you
1: do every single day in your career totally informs your worldview. Oh, world yes, view, definitely. But, but at the same time, it's as though it's not like a, okay, fine, sure, you can separate and say, like, yeah. my worldview can be reading books that don't have anything to do with my career. Wait, but no, 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 a
0: worldview is not an activity. A worldview is, is not reading I know. books.
1: I know. Okay. Yeah. A worldview is exactly what you have at this given moment based on the inputs yes. that you've taken in in your life. Point being is that if one thinks that they can just somehow separate career from worldview, they can't.
0: No, of course not.
1: Yeah, so so that's why I said there's no binary division for me between those two things. That's I why one, I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting a little lost in the words okay. right now. We are, yeah. 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 I think the most important point that we were trying to hammer there is that the more that you understand how things work and how humans work, how economies work, how the planet biology evolved to get to the point that it does today, the more that you understand the truth of those things, the more that you have a true worldview. Then we said that the seed, if you care more about art or science or philosophy or wherever you care more about, your potentially you can have a more true worldview for what your seed's fullest actualization is in the world. I think those are some of the key points. Yeah. That was good though that you came up and said like, certainty around how things work as part of a worldview and also taking into account uncertainty. Yeah. That was all good stuff. I think,
0: um, so going back to this idea of uncertainty, I think there are sort of two sources of uncertainty. There's one source that's just, People, animate objects are unpredictable. So like, we I don't know everything about you to be able to predict what you would do next fully. I don't know whether you're gonna blink next or whether you're gonna start talking, etc. cetera. Um, and I think another source of the uncertainty is um, lack of knowledge. Um, so that's tied in to what I just said, like, I don't have perfect knowledge, I don't live inside your brain, so I don't have perfect knowledge, but there's sort of another um, branch of this imperfect knowledge, is like, for instance, like, I don't know stuff about geopolitics, so my worldview on geopolitics is really, really unformed, so that's, like, a different kind of um, unpredictable, so I, like, or the economy, so the economy could, like, collapse tomorrow, and that wouldn't surprise me that much, because I have, a huge uncertainty allowance for stuff in the economy just because it's not what I read about. So you know what I mean? like so. And I mean, those are actually sort of the same thing. Um, it's that lack of knowledge is um, creating our uncertainty allowance or causing us to need to allow for uncertainty.
1: I agree with that. That's, that's a really good way to put it. So, you can be at the edge of knowledge across different fields, and you can potentially, if you're really deep in neuroscience, let's just take you as an example. If you're really deep in psychology and wanting to care and understand about other humans and understand about their input streams and who they became as yeah. humans, all this type of stuff, <clears throat> you're really deep in, like, say, psychology, neuroscience, and human behavior and stuff. And so, with the subject like geopolitics, your area of uncertainty or economics is just larger, like you explained, Yeah. okay. At the same time, I think that adds potentially a little bit of creativity. If everyone's like, this is how the economy works, I've already been studying it for 20 yeah. years, and then you come and you're like, well, why doesn't it work like this? Oh, absolutely. And somebody could be like, hmm, I'm actually really open-minded to that and that could be really good. Also, at the same time, I think that it might not actually be that, if you are all the way at the edge of something like psychology, neuroscience, and human behavior, that it is potential that you still have quite a bit of uncertainty, not in the sense that as much as potentially something like geopolitics or economics, but maybe in the sense that something could happen at the edge of your field that could Push even further, and that kind of actually is the same to that example of a newbie coming in and saying something. A newbie could come into your field and say something, but there is still a degree of uncertainty. It could potentially be less like you're explaining if you're really sophisticated in one area. One worldview, though, encompassing all of these complex fields, let's say from all that is, we can say that I'm trying to have a worldview of all that is, okay? then the question would be what makes up the most true worldview of all that is how do you teach a child when they're born into the world the most true worldview of all that is and then let them also simultaneously be figuring out this is what i want to creatively express into the world but right now we're not even doing that we're not taking and saying that we evolved on this rock together we're not saying that 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 8 billion of us all have different perspectives and different life stories and different amounts of trauma growing up because we didn't have the right nutrients and different creative expressions, the contributions to the world. So it's as though we're missing one of the most critical pieces of worldviews, which is taking what is the most true worldview of all that is, of our reality, and trying to get that to kids when they're born into the world.
0: Yeah, I think think what you're asking is sort of how do we set kids up to have a true worldview is that the question you're asking Mm -hmm. um so i think uh we're limited by time in the world as we were talking about and i think um we don't have to force kids on like what worldview they should adopt because again everybody's going to have a different worldview
1: but did Um, we evolve here on this rock together what does that mean Did we evolve here on planet Earth together? Yes. Did every human that's ever birthed and died evolve on this planet? Yeah? So I think children should be taught that, right?
0: Are you saying, like, uh, as opposed to people who, like, don't believe in evolution?
1: Sure. Or there's so many other examples like this. Like, we can't just believe that for some reason that, that we're good and China is bad. Right, yeah. these binary ways of perceiving yeah. the world, those are, those are just not a true statement when right. someone is trying to say something like that. Right. So when you say that actually the US is both good and bad, China's both good and bad, yeah. Everyone's everyone on the planet is both good and bad, then you're starting to get closer and closer to truth. Yeah. What are the good codes from US? What are the good codes from China? How do we help uplift these good codes, archive the old yeah. things, yeah. these types of processes? Are we
0: all bound to always be good and bad? Or are we suggesting that we can sort of leverage all the good aspects of the world and create a world that's all good?
1: That's a great question. I think nothing's impossible, so. Yeah. So hopefully, we'll figure out what this absolutely exceptional, outstanding code is and we'll bring that forth at its fullest. And if someone says, hey, I don't think that code is that exceptional, then we'll say, please, teach us why the code is not that exceptional. Maybe yeah. there's a great way to yeah. update it. I mean,
0: yeah, I think what you're talking about is a meritocracy of, ide- of ideas.
1: True meritocracy of ideas. Yeah. Not, you have a different idea, so we're gonna burn you. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. some old archaic I code. think, yeah. um,
0: I mean, this is very like Freudian kind of, but what gets in it, like that idea that you're saying, like your idea gets in the way of my idea, I'm gonna burn you, that's like our ego that's saying um, this hurts my ego to let go of this idea that I have.
1: One's open-mindedness, we've talked about this several times, is a major key in being able to take and balance so many different worldviews, so many different variables, come up with new, new lines of code. Yeah. Okay, and then maybe the yeah. last thing that we should talk about is nutrition. Yes. You actually asked me this the last time we sat down together, and the second time we sat down together, and I, And I said that it's, I want, I want, I want to refine my answer and say that I think exercise and nutrition are unique to that seeds. Oh yeah. Express, expression to the world. Yet, I think that one can say that if you, like there's that weird place called the heart attack grill in Las Vegas, where if you're like. (laughs) over 350 pounds, you eat for free. So it's just like you can get caught in a fucking weird system where you buy junk food and fast food and high-fructose corn syrup and then when you become 400 pounds and then the idea is then you can use a phrase like, it's my seed's unique DNA to be 400 pounds. So I want to also balance out perspectives like that. So that's why when I gave you the first response, which was, you can tell how you feel if you eat a burger or if you eat a salad, you can tell how you feel. If you go on a run versus if you don't, you can tell how you feel. Do you think your heart and brain thank you more when you sit on your ass or when you go on a run? Yeah. And so, yeah, and which one gets you how many more years of life? Does a salad extend, does a burger slow, uh, cut off a couple even days of my life? Does not going on a run cut off a couple days of my life?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it would be great if we could quantify that stuff and use that as information to empower people to make more informed choices. Um, I think part of it, I don't know, maybe, I think, yeah, there's stuff online that's like smoking a pack of cigarettes is like minus X number of days. I think having that um, information more available um, probably would be really effective. I'm sure there's behavioral economic stuff to back that up. yeah, I, I, so I think, and you were also talking basically about, or one thing we were talking about earlier is that people are sort of like roped into this system of eating crap and then suffer from it um, without choosing. I mean, it's like, what do we subsidize in this country? Like corn. We like feed corn to everything. Um, we um, have foods that are, the foods that are the cheapest are the unhealthiest. Um, so essentially, if you're not swimming in money to spend on food, um, you 're going to be eating crap. Um, and I think it's a huge failing of our society that that's the way it is. Um, so I was suggesting um, that maybe we should have like federally subsidized like smoothie bars, and I know this sounds like the most like extra thing ever because smoothies have been associated with. Um, lots of sort of like cultural privilege Um, but the point is is that it's like a nutritional drink with um, fruits vegetables and like healthy protein Um, and that's sort of like at least I think based on current nutritional knowledge like kind of a fact Um, so if we had things that I, I so I I hesitate to say we should like ban bad foods because I think we should be able to eat them in moderation like you should be able to have birthday cake and not have, like, we don't want a black market for bad foods, um, but at the same time, I think what we should do is sort of push forward the things that are nutritional and make them readily available and um, easy, to, easy to pay for, um, so that means, like, smoothie bars on every corner, and then people won't go into the convenience store and buy chips.
1: Yeah, there's... So, some interesting nuance here is that if you take something that's as complex as the microbes that have evolved inside of your gut and you and your oral microbiome your gut microbiome if you really think about the billions of years of evolution for those microbes and then just the these m- past couple millions and hundreds of thousands of years of humans evolution A lot of people hypothesize that it could be that we are actually in service to our microbes and so that the amount of will that you think that you have yourself of deciding when you open the fridge to grab this or grab that is actually quite a bit lower than your microbes are commanding you to do. So those microbes actually have a significant amount of complexity to them that we're only starting to understand. Things like if the smoothie bar mentality. you can somebody can actually not do something like fruits that well, or someone could not do something like vegetables that well. And so that means that do they need to eat a diet that is more heavy in carbs instead? Yeah, that's actually possible. That's why this idea of universally healthy food is in many ways starting to be understood as, is that potentially more of a myth? Does every single one of us have a different microbiome that that is actually, that could be better for us? But I agree that there are definitely um, things like high fructose corn syrup, that you can literally say that me drinking 50 grams of sugar inside of a Coca-Cola is probably not as good Okay, empirically, not yeah. as good as yeah. if I was to drink something like water or drink something like that um, that subsidized. Uh, fruit and vegetable smoothie, that is likely potentially also just want to make sure for those that are, uh, that caught the word federally, um, just, it doesn't necessarily have to be federally uh, yes. subsidized. Subsidized. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Because some people threw, no, not more taxpayer dollars, <laughs> yeah. federally,
0: yeah. yeah,
1: there's so many other ways to figure out no, how I to think, do it. Yeah. I
0: think you're raising a really good point. that. Um, we all sort of have cravings for different things that are probably based in our biology. Like you might um, need, for some reason, your body might need more salt than uh, mine. And so you, and that's actually healthy for you. Um, So for instance, like something like that. Um, So I think like definitely like working with that possibility is important. Um, and, and And creating the variety of options that accounts for that, those differences. Um, is something that we could do. It's just that we would basically be de-emphasizing the foods that are, on average, universally bad.
1: I think there's also potential. yeah, on on average, universally bad, sure, sure. There's like high fructose corn syrup is one of them, another one is potentially- Trans
0: fat, I mean, that's basically banned already. Yeah,
1: Um, Um, potentially something like the carcinogenic effects of smoking cigarettes. and there's, uh, yeah, versus something, uh, there was some nuance there to smoking a tobacco leaf completely, you know, a, a yeah. more different. Um, okay, we can continue more on other uh, um, follow-up conversations while you're visiting. Um, that was good. Worldviews, public intellectuals, nutrition. Yeah, I'm glad that we were able to unpack some good nuance there. You helped me a lot, because now I'm able to synthesize and structure better, which is why you know, we do this. And hopefully those that are watching also had something good that came up. So, any, any other last thoughts from you, Julia? I don't think so. All right, thank you everyone for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on what we talked about. Drop us your thoughts down there. Also, share the content with more people. Go talk to your friends, your families, your coworkers, people online on social media about worldviews, public intellectuals, nutrition. Get talking more about these things. Bring these up as questions in your social groups more often. Ask them as questions. Mm-hmm. And also support the artists, the entrepreneurs, the organizations around the world that you believe in in your community. Support simulations so we can help grow. Our links are below. Help these ideas keep spreading. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest those dreams into the world. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Peace.